Don't you just want to go speak the name of Jesus over somebody? Touch their lives, touch their heart, touch their soul. Glory to God. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. And every freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. To every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus. Hallelujah. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. Shout Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. And Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus Hallelujah Hallelujah Shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. I want to sing that part again. I love that part. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. Jesus, your name is power. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. Thank you, Lord. I just want to speak the name of Jesus 
over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus. And before we sing this next song, as Janine starts to play it, I want you to just, we used to be able to touch our neighbor and pray for him, but I want you to just look over at your neighbor and, and speak Jesus into their life. Just say, Jesus, Jesus, bless you. Jesus, keep you. Jesus, sustain you. Jesus, provide for you. Jesus, heal you. Jesus, deliver you. Jesus, touch you. Jesus, bless you. Hallelujah. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Psalm 112, the promise keeper's song. If I can get there, it seems to be stuck between two pages. Here we go. Nope. 
I know it's in here. <laughs> Real quickly, Psalm 112. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Under the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor, and he lendeth, he will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desires upon his enemies. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horns shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Hallelujah. It says his desires will be rewarded, but the desire of the wicked shall perish. Isn't that a great promise from the Lord about his faithfulness? Glory to God. I just wanted to share that with you this morning. It's a beautiful psalm. Back in March of 2020, David Brooks wrote a really intriguing and much commented article in the Atlantic magazine entitled, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. And in it, he goes into the fact that the, what was called the nuclear family back in the 50s and 60s was kind of like a, a, an aberration in history. The, the two the two parent two and a half kids you know model that we all grew up we grew up and he writes this in that book in that article Americans today have less family than ever before from 1970 to 2012 the share of households consisting of married couples with kids has been cut in half. In 1960, according to census data, just 13% of all households were single-person households. In 2018, that figure was 28%. I'm gonna throw a lot of numbers at you, so forgive me. In 1850, 75% of Americans older than 65 lived with relatives. By 1990, only 18% did. Over the past two generations, people have spent less and less time in marriage. They are marrying later, if at all, and divorcing more. In 1950, 27% of marriages ended in divorce. Today, about 45% do. In 1960, 72% of American adults were married. In 2017, nearly half of American adults are single. According to a 2014 report from the Urban Institute, roughly 90% of women and 80% of Gen X women married by age 40, while only 70% of late millennial women were expected to do so. The lowest rate in human history, in U.S. history. And while more than four-fifths of American adults in 2019 Pew Research Center survey said that 
getting married is not essential to living a fulfilling life. It's not just the institution of marriage, they're a skewing. In 2004, 33% of Americans ages 18 to 34 were living without a romantic partner, according to General Social Survey. By 2018, that number was up to 51%. Over the past two generations, families have also gotten a lot smaller. The general American birth rate is half of what it was in 1960. In 2012, most American family, family households had no children. There are more American homes with pets than with children. In 1970, about 20% of households had five or more people. As of 2012, only 10% did, about half. We're likely living through the most rapid change in the family structure in human history. The causes are economical, cultural, and institutional all at once. They're all coming through. I'm sorry, I'm not done with numbers yet. I like, I'm a numbers guy, so I have to forgive you. I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you today. Here are some major change demographics to show how they changed between 1970 and 2013. There are fewer family households. A family household includes two or more people living in the same home who are related by blood, marriage, or adoption. Such groups made up 66% of American households in 2013, down from 81% in 1970. There are more people living alone. In 2013, 27% of households were one-person households, up from 17% in, 20, in 1970. In 1970, 40% of households were married couples with children. Such households made up just 19% of homes in 2013. That's really low. The median age at first marriage was 29 for men and 26.6 for women in 2013, up from 23.2 and 20.8 in 1970. So almost six years later of people getting married. Smaller families, the average number of people per household dropped from 3.1 to 2.5. Fewer children, the average number of children per family declined from 1.3 to less than one. I don't know how you get less than one kid in the house, but I know this is all very disturbing, right? I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry. Parents not marrying, of children living with only a mother 48% had a mother who had never been married in 2013, up from 7% in 1970. Kind of sad. Really sad. What is happening to the American family. Not only the so-called nuclear family, but we see divisions and we see rifts and we see complaining and backbiting and murmuring within the church family as well. I don't know whether it's a reflection of the change in the dynamic of the family at home that's causing some of this, but it's like sometimes I see what's happening in the church, and I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about church in general. I see what's happening in the church, and I think sometimes they divorce themselves with some of the things that are going on. I think our church has a strong family. And I'm very thankful for that. 
The family of God is the most important family we have. I was going to read Luke chapter 15, but I think I'm not going to do because all of us are pretty familiar with the story of the prodigal son. You know, a certain man had two sons. And one son became unfaithful, and the other son became unfaithful. And the unfaithful son figured out that his dad had things a lot better off than he was getting where he was. So he came back and he asked dad, hey dad, I want to come back and I want to work for you. I've sinned. I've disgraced you. Please take me back. And we all know how the father reacted. He ran with open arms to find his son. He'd been looking for him for years. He'd been waiting for him to come back. And he put on him his, his ring that signified acceptance in the robe that signified he was part of the family, put sandals on his feet, and he said, let's take out the fatted calf and have a feast. And some that was there all the time got upset. The calf never threw a feast in his honor. They had trouble with families back then too, didn't they? There's a little trouble in that family. But we're a part of the family of God more than we are a part of our own family. We're all a part of the family of God. We're all a part of that family. And that's the gist of my message this morning is I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. See, Ephesians, I'm going to read a few portions of Scripture if you want to turn with me. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4. We start there. chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, tells us, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I was listening to a message the other day, and, and this particular pastor, and I can't remember who it was, but he said, I'm convinced that the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth wasn't salvation, it was to show us the Father, to show us who the Father was. Part of that was him dying on the cross. Part of that was his sacrifice. Part of that was the forgiveness of sins, because that's what the Father wants to do. But it was all about showing us the Father, showing his love, showing his compassion, showing his lack of worrying about social status and who one person is and who another person is. Jesus hung out with prostitutes and thieves. He went into tax collecting houses. They were the lowest of the low in those days. He didn't hang around with the hierarchy. In fact, the people that were all uppity up on themselves were the ones that came against him all the time, the scribes and the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites and whitewashed sepulchers because they couldn't get down into the gutter to minister to the common people like he did. He went to them. 
scribes and the Pharisees wanted them to come to him. Come to them. Jesus comes to us. Do you remember the day that Jesus first came to you? When he first spoke to you? When he opened your eyes? When you first heard his voice? I can remember it very clearly. I'm sure many of you can too. He comes to us because he loves us. Because he has compassion on us. Because he cares for us. Because we're his children. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8. Verses 14 through 19. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Ye have not received again, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. We talked this morning in Sunday school about God's timing. You know, what's, what's his timing? When's he going to answer this prayer? When's he going to answer that prayer? We never know when God's going to come. I shared that example at the beginning of the service about the children of Israel back in, the day, back in Egypt and, and the ones in Babylon. How different those two periods were. And how different methods that God used to deliver them. We don't know how God's going to deliver us out of affliction when we get into trouble, when we get into trial, when we get into death. We pray that God will send it a certain way. But because we're his sons and daughters, he treats each one of us differently. Those of you who have children, did you, teach your ch did you treat each child differently? You kind of had to, didn't you? I mean, each one of them had a different personality. They each had a different way that they understood what you wanted them to do or how they should grow or what they should learn. I know my kids are all totally different from each other. I don't know about yours. But, but they are. And we are. And God deals with each one of us differently. So because Julie gets a blessing this way, doesn't mean that Jeff's going to get a blessing that way. Because Don is blessed when he receives one thing, doesn't mean that Don will be blessed the same way as Don is. We don't know what God's going to do in our lives next. We just know that we're his children. We're part of his family. He's going to do, always do, what's best for us, individually. Because he knows where he's taken us. Anybody know exactly where they're going with God? I, I don't. 
It's one day at a time, right? That old song, one day at a time. Sweet Jesus, it's all I'm asking from you. Just take me one more step today, Lord. One more step. One, one step closer. Because I know that you're doing what's best for me because I'm your child. You adopted me. Out of the ravages of sin, out of the misery that my life was, out of drugs, out of alcohol, out of trouble, you adopted me. You came to me. I didn't have to come to you up there on your throne in heaven. I didn't have to come to you. You came to me. Because you love me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 2 Corinthians 17. Going the wrong direction. No, not 2. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 17. I'll get there. Glory to God. There isn't a 2 Corinthians 17. How do you like that, huh? All right. I know it's, it's verses 17 and 18 is what I'm looking for. And I know that 18 says, Come out from among them and be ye separate. Or 17 does. Well, it's always fun when you write down the wrong scripture reference. Doesn't mean God's not moving, right? It's still in there. We're still the children of God. We are His creation. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to talk with Him. He wants us to be with Him. He wants us to be part of His family. And there's a whole world out there. As I talked about at the beginning of this message, there's a whole world out there that doesn't understand the closeness of family. Their families have been broken. Their families are split apart. They're hugged apart. Their hearts are hurting. They need that. They need that sense of family. They need to know that God loves them. That they're a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That they're an heir of Christ Jesus. If they accept Him as their Lord and Savior, they're an heir. Hallelujah. You know, in, in the Bible, there's several places that talk about the fact that the, um, the orphans and the fatherless and the widow are very, are very special in God's eyes. All the way back to Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 18, says, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. God has always cared about the orphans, the fathers, fathers. He's always cared about those that have lost their loved one. Always. His heart's always been open. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and keep himself unspotted by the world. We can't get in a higher place with God than to love the fathers and the widows. To love those whose families are broken apart and are hurting. And that's a big world out there. 
I got a couple of quotes from some people you might recognize. George Bernard Shaw said, a happy, a happy family is but an earlier heaven. I like that. Kind of poetic. Of course, Shaw was a poet, so that makes sense, doesn't it? Michael J. Fox, anybody here? You know, Back to the Future? Family is not an important thing. It's everything. And Lee Iacocca, you remember Lee Iacocca from Dr. Chrysler, old Chrysler thing? Says, the only rock I know that's steady, the only institution I know that works, is the family. We have a strong family here, and I'm so thankful for all of you. And I know how much it means to giving him the time he needs, his patience. God's at work. God's at work in this house. And there's a lot of other people that need to know that. And I pray that we can get out there and bring a few of them, a few of them inside. Let them know what family is all about. You know people out there that are hurting? It's a silly question. I think we all know people that are hurting. I know a lot of people that are hurting. I've got a next door neighbor that is basically his family is his own family has said, You're a mess. Stay away. Except for his mom. He goes out and sees his mom every day, but his brothers can't stand him. His kids still call him. He's, he's very sad. He needs family. And I'm sure each one of you, while I was talking about him, can think of somebody like that. Be family to them. Just be family to them. Don't go invite them to church. I mean, that may come. Just be family. Give them the love that they're not getting. Give them the help that they're not getting. Give them the compassion that they're not getting, the mercy and the grace that is a part of what we are when we're in Jesus Christ. We have so much to give to this world. So much. And I know a lot of you are doing I'm not saying any of you aren't doing that. This is just what the Lord laid on my heart today. We are a family, and there's families out there that are hurting. There's people out there that don't even know the closeness and the, and the love and the compassion and the mercy and the grace that comes from having those family relationships. They've broken, they're hurting, and they need us. They need us. We just have to go out and
because I'm really glad I'm a part of the family of God. I have a good, good father. Love that song by Chris Thomas. He's a good, good father. He is.